Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. I wanted a career in which everything would matter. So I joined the CIA and now I help protect our families, our friends, and every fellow American. Find out how everything you do in your career can impact our nation. Visit CIA.gov careers to learn more and apply. And now for something completely different. Welcome in to another Friday episode of the Get Cocky Podcast, part of the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler, and we got a great show planned for you guys today. Former South Carolina wide receiver and got some gambling tips for those of you that are looking for some futures as we are now in week three of the college football season. But before we get into it, I want to remind you guys to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends if you like it and you want us to keep doing more of it. That's the best way to support the podcast. And also, while you're subscribing, you're going to go ahead and get notifications and updates whenever we do another Carolina podcast with Wes and Chris as well. And I know you all love that. So make sure you subscribe to the feed. All right, here we are about to be a quarter of the way through Carolina's season. And while we've learned a lot about this team in the last three weeks, including having almost a third of the starters on both sides of the ball end up being different by the time we start the Alabama game. In a lot of ways, we still don't really have a clear idea of how this team's going to finish. They're probably going to lose to Alabama tomorrow. And they were always going to lose that game so a lot of how I and likely you are going to end up feeling about the rest of the season after tomorrow will come down to how Carolina loses the game but in most of the realistic scenarios Carolina losing shouldn't cause any sort of cataclysmic meltdown or a dramatic change in opinion about where this team will end the 2019 season we're at the point where I'm sort of considering that maybe the reality of this season so far is that North Carolina should not have been 
a 12-point underdog in that game. The odds makers in Vegas, people around Columbia, and I especially, screwed that one up big time. And there's no doubt that that was an egg-laying and an utter disappointment, not even so much because of how they lost, but more because of how they played. But maybe we should have come into the season putting North Carolina at a neutral site in the same category as at Missouri or Kentucky or the Florida games as sort of those real toss-ups. Carolina will probably still end up with losses to Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, and Texas A&M. But if by season's end, Carolina's 7-5 and in that fifth loss is to North Carolina instead of at Missouri or Kentucky for the 140th year in a row, will that be better or worse? Emotionally, I think it will feel worse because Carolina fans will know that it could have and should have been a win, and 8-4 and four feels like a lot more dramatic improvement on the season than the actual 8% difference in terms of the win-loss percentage actually is. But 5-3 and three in the SEC and 5-1 and one against the East would be a terrific season. And I don't want to get way ahead of myself because although Terry Wilson's injury in Kentucky and the hilariously terrible start to the season for Tennessee should have Carolina fans feeling a lot better about getting wins in those games, this team still has a long way to go and a lot to prove. But for all the doom and gloom that people, uh, myself included, forecasted right after the awful loss that was the season opener this team could still be within their expected range from the outset now with regards to this Alabama game specifically I kind of want to approach it like the first game in the season and that it's a great opportunity for you as a fan of the team or of college football in general or whatever to just enjoy a game that will hopefully and probably be an electric atmosphere at least early as people around Columbia try to invoke the magic of 2010 and to just enjoy the rare opportunity to welcome the best team in the country to your home stadium. Josh said it very well when we went into the student section on Monday's podcast. One of the things that's fun about watching college football games and sports in general in person when your team doesn't win is just the collective feeling of pain and embarrassment that eventually resolves to pure admiration for the legendary performances that have knocked off your team. Like, remember when Tim Tebow scored 10 touchdowns against Carolina? That's kind of how fans remember it. I think it was like five or seven or something, but it was a lot. Um, and if you were wearing garnet or black, because I think that was maybe a blackout game, that Florida game when Tim Tebow went off, um, regardless, that's a tough memory, but also it was cool. Or, you know, how about that time that Darren McFadden and Felix Jones absolutely torched the Gamecocks? That's a miserable memory for Gamecock fans when you're thinking about the Carolina perspective, but also, I mean, that was kind of cool to get to see those guys. You know, losing to Kentucky is a different story. Uh, but Saturday will be fun and memorable regardless. You know, even if you, even if it's just because you get a chance to live the story that you'll one day tell about watching Jerry Judy put up 250 yards and, you know, all these amazing things. Or, you know, like watching Jay Sternberger last year, the Texas A&M game stands out. I remember even turning to the people I was sitting with and being like, wow, this is really cool. You know, we're watching the next Rob Gronkowski before people know that he's Rob Gronkowski and dominates the NFL for the next 10 years. But with that being said, enjoy having the glimmer of hope early and then whatever else the rest of the game ends up being uh, before all that hope eventually, probably, likely ends up kind of crashing down. And if it does, again, it's still cool to watch the best team in the country, or number two team in the country. Enjoy watching Tua. Enjoy watching Judy and Raekwon Davis and all these guys that are going to be playing on Sunday. You get a chance to see them in person, so that should be fun, if nothing else. Coming up in just a second, I was really happy to get a chance to talk with Mo Brown, former Carolina receiver, about preparing for big games, Shai Smith and Brian Edwards, and how their skill sets specifically can impact this game on Saturday, and a few more fun things ahead of the Bama game. So here is my conversation with Mo. All right, very excited now to have with me former South Carolina wide receiver Mo Brown. Uh, we were just talking right before we started recording this. I, I was telling him that I used to love watching him, I guess, when I was growing up. And don't mean to make him feel old. He's actually not much older than me, but he was uh, still a hero of mine, one of my first favorite uh, Gamecocks. And Mo, I really appreciate you taking some time out of your morning for us. Absolutely. Glad to be here. 
So you played in a lot of big games uh, in your four-year career at South Carolina, and I guess there was one in particular that I wanted to talk about a lot that maybe we can draw some parallels as the Gamecocks eagerly await hosting the Crimson Tide this coming Saturday. And it's actually kind of funny. I was going back and looking at the box score, doing some research about the 2008 Georgia game. Uh, That was actually played on September 13th, 2008. This game's going to be September 14th, so right at about the same point in the season. uh, It was the third game of the season for both of y'all, and that was actually a huge game for you. You had seven catches, 130 yards. Uh, But before we get into the specifics of the game, what's the mentality of a game like that? Georgia was number two in the country. They had Matt Stafford and Noshawn Moreno, both of whom were preseason Heisman candidates. Uh, You know, just to have that kind of atmosphere and obviously being able to host it here in Williams-Brice, what was that game like for you, just that week leading up to it? Well, you know, it was actually interesting um, for me specifically. uh, The week before, uh, I had sprung by MCL um, against Vanderbilt. And Kenny McKinley um, pulled his hamstring in that same game. And so um, I, I played that Vanderbilt game on one leg. I, I probably shouldn't have been playing that game. My knee felt like yellow. But, you know, the team um, with, with Kenny going down and being kind of limited in the wide receiver position, uh, I had to, I had to step up. And so I put a brace on and, and lift through the rest of that game. And my, my performance reflected that. So I wasn't even sure that I was going to be able to play the Georgia week, but I, I was determined to get on the field. So the first day of practice, I did not practice. Joe Hill was in that position at the B receiver, starting at the B receiver. Um, and I was just determined to get on the field, man. Was, you know, you don't get a chance to play the number two team in the country often, um, but that's what you sign up to play SEC football for. You know, those opportunities to compete on the biggest stage, to take on the Georgias of the world, to take on the Tennessees, the Floridas, the Alabamas, um, you know, play real big time game in front of big time crowds, and so you know, going through those weeks, you always feel it a little bit more. Uh, now, Coach Spurrier used to always preach: uh, you treat every week the same. Every week, no matter whose opponent it is, uh, you're supposed to treat the same same type of focus. But at the end of the day, we're still human, um, and we understand the significance of the bigger games versus not as big games. And so everyone was just feeling it. It's like you know, we're going to beat these boys. We always play Georgia tight. Um, we know a lot of guys on their their, their squad, and you know, we compete against them going right up. And so, you know, all those elements going into that week really builds up for the anticipation of actually upsetting the number two team in the country. And so um, that week, I was I was really locked in. Once I got back on the field, had a, had a great week of practice. Um, I, I actually was told before the game that I wasn't going to start. Um, I had a little issue with that, and uh, Coach Furry Jr. and I we. We talked that out prior to the game, but I still wasn't, I guess, uh, discouraged because I knew I still was going to play. And, you know, when I got in the game and got my opportunities, I was like, I'm just going to ball. We're going to upset the number two team in the country. Obviously, we ended up falling a little bit short from there, um, but it was definitely a fun game, hot game, but uh, it, it, it was fun prepared for. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember that game like it was yesterday, and, and like you said, you went off. I didn't realize – you were dealing with an injury going into the week, not to mention not starting. So it was, I guess all those things kind of stacked against you, and you still overcame it again to the tune of seven catches, 130 yards. You had a touchdown in there that I forgot to mention earlier. Uh, so was there anything about, I guess, sort of the uncertainty leading up to that week with you dealing with the injury that helped you maybe play a little more loose, that helped your performance on Saturday? Um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say that. It's just, again, you know, the week going into that week, Understanding what was on the line, what we were trying to do for as a as a team, but more importantly, just reestablish or establish a winning culture in, in South Carolina. You know, one thing that Coach Furry did 
always give us was this confidence that every game that we went into that we were going to win it, that we can win it. Now, it was always realistic expectations. It was just like, we got to do X, Y, and Z. But it never was the notion that we was going into the game that we could not win. I can think of one game where I thought that we were going to get smashed um, or didn't have a chance to win. Now, there was games that we actually did get smashed, but it was never the mentality that that was going to happen. Um, and so it, it was just, again, um, another opportunity for us to go compete on the highest level at home, William Bryce Stadium, CBS game, 330 kickoff against the number two team, and that's all we've heard about how good they are. We didn't care. You don't have to prove it at Willie B. And, you know, I was a big part of, you know, trying to have, have the opportunity to prove it against them. So that's where my mindset was going into that game um, and really just upsetting them. So I don't think the injuries are not starting. Um, made me play freer. It actually just made me want to play that much harder. And I think that's the result that you saw. I'm really glad you said what you did about being human because this week, you know, in the media, all the players and, and coaches, everybody is saying the right thing in terms of we're treating this, you know, like any other game. And you, in some ways you kind of have to, but you hit on it exactly. You're human, especially when you're talking about the Georgia game or in this case, you know, the Alabama game. These guys probably have some familiarity with each other just from growing up or from watching each other play, things like that. What's the right balance, though, between, you know, treating it just like any other game but also understanding the magnitude and understanding what's at stake or what could be gained by pulling off this kind of upset? You know, I, I just I just, I just say it's uh, control emotions. You know, you want to be able to play off those emotions that get you up excited, get your adrenaline going. But at the same time, you want to be able to control them. You don't want it to become so emotional that you end up taking energy from yourself um, and not actually playing as sharp. So it's a delicate line to walk. And that's where the leadership of the coaches and people who had experience that's on the team that plays in the game really can help the younger guys when, when, when going to these games. And so even going into that week with me being a junior and being one of the leaders on the team, um, even, at the, even at that time, my thought process was, okay, you want to show that, that the aggression, that seriousness, that focus of it, but you don't want to be overly hyped. Let's not, let's not talk about how we're going to do it, what we're going to do. Let's just be in the zone, really focus on what we have to do because we know that on the other side of the ball, um, whether it's on offense or defense, whoever is opposing you, your opponent is wanting to win that game just as much as you want to win that game. It's not more. And they've shown that they can do it over and over and over again. That's their number two team or number one team in the country. And so uh, you just know as an athlete, as a competitor, that you have to zone in a little bit more deeper because the competition requires it. And at the same time, you got to control your emotions to where you don't get overhyped and then be render yourself ineffective because, one, you done drained your energy, and, two, you don't got too focused on the emotion side of it that you're not thinking about the execution. So um, it's not an easy thing to do, um, and that's why you have teams that consistently in the top ten and, and others that's not because they, they figured out that right formula. Is it easier at home because you have all these fans that are pulling for you, or is it harder because you know they all have a you know sort of an expectation and they're rooting so hard for you? Does that make it harder? Um, I don't think players really think about it in their terms. I, at least I, I didn't. Uh, I, I actually enjoy playing on the road. I think there was a certain appeal to being able to hush up a crowd versus get them on their feet and cheering. Um, I think I think both of them are equally satisfied in their own way. And so I think whatever you was at, you, you was at home, you wanted the crowd to be on their feet going crazy because that means that you're doing good things. If you're on the road, you want them to be quiet. And so – 
that's kind of way I've always thought about it. It didn't matter where I was playing. I just wanted to play great. But but winning a game in Willie Price, it's like nothing else. I mean, our fans are amazing. The atmosphere is amazing. And it's interesting hearing people I played against or younger guys that's played in Willie Price um, talk about just their experience um, at our stadium and how difficult it is to play at William Bryce Stadium. So I, I, I take pride in our fans and the way they go about that. But ultimately, no, I don't, I don't think it's more difficult or less difficult for an athlete that is trained to deal with literally any circumstances that you, you come against. You mentioned being a, a leader. You were an upperclassman, a junior on that 2008 team that played against Georgia, as I mentioned, had a really great game. A couple upperclassmen receivers that are going to have a big impact on this game, Shy Smith and obviously Brian Edwards are going to be the, the two guys that – in a lot of ways, need to go out there and set the tone for Carolina. Will Muschamp spoke in his press conference on Tuesday about the need to be aggressive, you know, throwing the ball down the field, which, you know, it, it becomes an even more interesting proposition when you have a talented but freshman quarterback back there in, in Ryan Holinsky. Uh, but for Brian Edwards and Shai Smith, what are the kind of things that you're looking for for a, a couple of, like I said, upperclassmen wide receivers to go out and set the tone against a really talented group of defensive backs at Alabama House? You know, I was real fortunate to play with three of the greatest wide receivers in the history of, of USC, um, history of the SEC, um, and Kenny McKinley, Cindy Rice, and, and Alshon Jefferson. And I played with a whole lot of great other receivers as well. You know, Noah Whiteside, um, Fidel Newton, um, you know, Tory Gurley. I mean, just really great receivers, you know, Freddie Brown. And, and, and they all had their own way of going about the game. But one thing about all of us was true. We were extremely competitive, and if you thought you were going to walk up on us and play us man-to-man, bump and run the entire game, you must be out your damn mind. I don't know if I can say damn, but um, okay. okay. Um, <laughs> and because there, there was a, a sense that you're trying me, you're you're playing me, and I'm going to show you. And so, if I'm talking to Shy and Brian, what I'm telling them is be intentional. Be intentional about everything. I'm talking about blocking. I'm talking about running your routes, um, looking and getting pre-snap reads and understanding what they're trying to do, understanding exactly what you're trying to do within the play that's being called on every single down, and being be intentional about winning your battle every single play because that's how you're going to have to be in order to win those, win this game. If it's a catch, it's a ball up in the air, and it's within your vicinity to get your hands on it. There's no, there's no other, other outcome that should be going through your mind um, except I'm going to catch, catch this ball and make this play. And you got to believe that with every, every fiber in your, in your body. And if you do that, if you do that, then you'll give your chance to do something special. Um, Alshon Jeffrey, uh, Sidney Rice, Kenny McKinley, uh, I fed off those guys. We all fed off those guys. And those big moments when we needed um, the quarterback, the team knew that the ball was thrown up, that these guys were going to make a play. And that's what they got to do. They can't think about anything else but making a play every single opportunity they get a chance. And, you know, they will look up in the fourth quarter and they'll find themselves having a chance to win a big game. Fans have watched Shy and Brian flash a lot over the years. Uh, from someone that played receiver at Carolina, what are the things that you've seen that uh, that do separate them or that allow them to flash and may help them thrive in this Alabama game in terms of their individual games? Man, I, I love both of these guys as receivers. Uh, you know, two different body styles, but 
uh, one thing is for sure. Once they get their hands on the ball, both of them can make plays with the ball. Um, you know, looking at Brian, he's a big physical guy. He runs really, really good routes. And, and he's strong hand, strong handed, big body. He's tough when he gets the ball in his hand to take down. So just everything you would want in a receiver. You know, if you if you're drawing up a receiver, you, you draw you draw a Brian for sure. And and he's undone it. He's made big plays and made amazing plays. He's likely going to finish holding just about every record as a receiver um, at the conclusion of this year. Um, so th- that's the guy that you want. Somebody that played a lot of football. Um, you need guys like him to come in and actually win a game like this. And so he just has to be intentional and believe believe in himself um, that he is who he is. And that's a great wide receiver that's as talented as anyone in this country. Um, and if he does that, then he's going to have a good chance to, chance to be successful on Saturday. Um, Shy, you know, Shy, Shy is dynamic, like extremely dynamic. And honestly, we got to figure out how to get the ball in his hands as many times as possible. I think he should be a 10-touch 10 touch a game type guy just because the way he sees the field, the way he runs the ball, the way he separates in, in from coverages, it, it, it amazes me how wide open he is so often. And, and, and that's a skill. That's someone who not only just talented in football, but has a good, has a great feel for the game. Um, and they can translate that ta- talent with a great feel to the game through actually understanding the game. And I just think Shaw checks all those boxes. And so, the more we can get the ball into his hand you know, early, whether that's slip screens, whether that's slant, uh, whether that's down the field, whether that's intermediate passes, get the ball into his hands um, uh, or reverses. Let him take the pressure off um, some of these younger, these younger quarterbacks that we would have um, out there on the field. And in between the two of them, they have to have a strong, big game in order for us to win. And in terms of the guy getting them the football with Ryan Helensky, obviously it's a, it's a small sample size, and last week against Charleston Southern wasn't the same level of competition that he's going to see this week against Alabama. Uh, but, again, in the small sample size that we've seen, does he remind you of any of the guys that you played with? You know, it's kind of hard for me to say. i gotta, I got to watch him more to, to say it reminds me of one thing or another. I can speak to him directly, though. From what I've seen and from what I've heard, is all the great thing, all, all nothing but great things about him, his leadership and how he can control the, 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 the huddle and the people around him and his poise. I saw that on display this past Saturday. It, it, it's something to be said for a quarterback that can control um, the huddle. And when those guys, those 10 guys that stand around him, looking at him to get the instructions for the play, believe in him as a leader, that, that, that makes a difference. And I could tell that the guys responded to him. You know, it was a lot of times that he was just standing in the pocket and had plenty of time. And, and obviously, we, you know, the, the level of competition wasn't up to par. But you can see things that shows how the guys were responding to him, you know, how they catch the ball, the confidence they have uh, when they got the ball, um, how they're moving the, the ball down the field. And the fact that we scored 72 points, um, put up 750 yards of, of, of offense, I think goes to the confidence that – the team showed within this young young freshman. So I think that's special. I mean, um, you know, to have a game-breaking, um, excuse me, record-breaking day on their first start, regardless of the competition. I mean, it's hard to put up 750 yards on air and execute. And so to do that against an opponent, um, I think it's going to speak very highly of him. And so I, I'm interested to see how he responds on Saturday. Um, will be a different, it'll be a different atmosphere. Um, but I think he gives us an opportunity to shock Alabama too, because they don't really know what to expect outside that small sample size. And we're going to we're going to see we're going to see if he's ready for the big lights, big time, 
um, right away early in his career. And if he can step up and win, win, win tomorrow, excuse me, win on Saturday, then it will be, it will be something to be said for his uh, path as a Gamecock. One more thing, and then I'll let you go because I've already kept you longer than I promised I would. Uh, you talked about the importance of managing the emotions of the game on Saturday, which is obviously going to be huge. But in terms of football, is there something that you've seen from Carolina through the first two games or maybe you're expecting to see on Saturday that you feel like gives them a good chance? Maybe something new in the running game, something in the passing game, something you've seen defensively, some kind of X factor for the Gamecocks? You know, I, I, I like what I've seen from our backfield in Feaster and obviously Rico. Rico's healthy. And I think people forget how dynamic Rico is as a runner when he's healthy. His problem is being, being able to stay on the field, not his ability as a runner. And I think we've seen over the first two weeks that you know, this guy has a lot of great vision um, when, when he's in open field. And I love what I see from uh, Feaster as well. Uh, he, he hits the hole hard. He keeps his feet moving. And he has that intentionality on in, in him. Um, you know, when he, he has the ball in his hands, he, he wants to deliver pain and he wants to score the rock. Um, and, and you can see that in his style of run. So I, I think those two, no one talks about those that, that, that duo as, as, a, as a great running back duo, but I think they potentially can be. So I, I, going against a team like Alabama, who's going to be aggressive and physical, being flying around, um, letting those offensive line, not having to think about pass it and be on their heels and actually push, try to push these Alabama front seven. Um, up front and getting into the what I believe to be potentially dynamic backs, I think that can be a key factor in us winning this game. And so I say feed those two. Um, obviously get Joyner involved in, in that running game as well. But um, I, uh, the thought that we're going to stay back there and sling it around with a freshman quarterback and be aggressive, um, we should absolutely try that. But I, I don't think we should. I don't think we should neglect the run game. Um, and if we if we can see those guys, then we're gonna have an opportunity to be successful. You gonna be at the game? I will be at the game. All right. I know a couple of your former teammates are gonna be there. Steven Garcia is gonna be there. Uh, anyone else you know from those teams you were on gonna be there? Yeah, it, it's supposed to be a lot of guys back. Um, I know uh, Brian Maddox is coming back. Uh, he's supposed to be there. Um, and there's rumor that uh, a, a, a big time receiver is supposed to be back as well, but I, I won't say his name because I don't want to put him out there if he if he can't make it. Um, so it's, it's it's supposed to be a good a good bit of guys back. I don't know everyone, and I'm I'm excited to see who exactly will be there. But um, from my understanding, all the requests have been filled, and there's no more opportunities for. A certain alumni to come back because it's going to be a full sideline, so it should be good. Yeah, looking forward to it. Very much looking forward to it. Mo, thank you so much for your time and your perspective and your expertise today. Y'all can follow him on Twitter at B. Anything else you want to plug for everyone today? No, man, just make sure you get y'all out cheering on the Gamecocks. You can't make it to the game. Sending that positive energy to upset the number two team in the country. Um, you know, stay stay encouraged. Um, stay supporting. Um, must champ right now. Uh, send send as much positive thoughts and energy to the guys as possible. Uh, it's not it's not it's not easy playing this game of football um, at the level that these guys are playing at it. And trust me, they want to win just as bad as anyone. So um, just be mindful of that, and let's see if we can pull our boys through. Words of wisdom, Mo. Thank you so much again for your time. This has been great. All right, thanks, man. You have a good one. Thanks again to Mo for sharing his insights, and hopefully we'll talk to him a few more times throughout the course of the season. Last thing we're going to do before we get out of here today is a look ahead to some of the more interesting future bets in college football right now, and y'all know what that means. Here's Mason Dixon. All right, Andrew Mason Dixon is back. 
We are yeah. in the third week of college football, so I figured this would be a good opportunity to check in on some early futures for the national championship winner and the Heisman Trophy winner. No better person to do it than our resident expert, Drew. How's it going? Yeah, it's always time to make some money, Pearson. <laughs> always time to make some money, and these are the money picks right here. Uh, without further ado, let's just jump right in. It's been a relatively uneventful first couple weeks of the college football season. I guess if you're a Carolina fan, there's been a lot of up and down. But in terms of the national picture, there hasn't been a lot of huge upheaval. The LSU-Texas game was really exciting, and I don't think overly changes either of those teams' odds. Uh, but if you look at the top of the standing, it's sort of where it was when we started the season a couple of weeks ago. Alabama, plus 200 to win the national championship, all tied with Clemson, and also plus 200. Uh, Georgia is plus 600. Ohio State, plus 1,000. Uh, Michigan State, plus 1,200. Oklahoma, plus 1,400. LSU, I'll just start doing these in 2-1 in ratios. Uh, LSU, 16-1. to 1. Texas, 21-1. to 1. Auburn 31 to 1, Nebraska 31 to 1, Oregon 35 to 1, Florida at 40 to 1, uh, Notre Dame's at 30 to 1, Texas A&M 55 to 1, Washington 30 to 1, and Utah 45 to 1. That's the top like 15 or whatever. Uh, Drew, what stands out to you from all these odds? Again, not not a lot's changed since the beginning of the season. Right. No surprise that's changed throughout the season to start off. Nothing noticeable. Um, you know, the odds have pretty much have stayed the same uh, the, with the season kind of going as expected so far. Uh, you know, I, you, there, there's, some, there's some odds on here that intrigue me, though, that, that I'm leaning towards. I don't know about you, but if, if we want to get into it. But I, I, I kind of like, I like, I like some odds here, I think. Well, before we get into who we like, because I'm worried that we're going to have the same thought process on who we like. So let's start with uh, who we don't like. For me, I think Michigan at 12 to 1 is like a pretty incredible number. Again, it's early on in the season, but after what happened in the Army game, I mean, Michigan by all accounts should have lost that game. Army had a kick there at the very very end to win it. But I guess the the odds makers trying to not overreact too much to an early season game. Also, um, Ohio State at 10 to 1, that's, you know, all right, Justin Fields has looked, I mean, basically like everything that Ohio State fans would have wanted to see uh, out of Fields and then some, I think. He's been pretty pretty great in the uh, first couple weeks of the season for them. Uh, but those are the two, t- well, really Michigan is the one that I look at from the Big Ten. I say, I don't know what they're doing up there with Oklahoma, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, and Alabama. Right. You want to have your conference, especially for a conference like the Big Ten that didn't get a team into the playoffs last year, they really want their conference to look good and their their their, their leader in their conference to be strong. And right now, I'm, I got to say that Michigan is is not looking at, especially with a poor performance against Army, needing some kicking magic to pull that off. Uh, Michigan definitely is not who I'm thinking is going to be. Uh, in the playoffs come December. Yeah, that one, I'm surprised that didn't take a little bit of a dive. I guess, I mean, they basically just look at wins and losses for this um, or else that, that close call this weekend that man, man, I was, I was pulling for army so hard. That was, that was tragic. Had a chance to win it there right at the end of regulation and then lost it in overtime. I was watching that on my phone as I was leaving the Carolina game. It was a great game. Great game. Just really unfortunate. Um, And then the other side of it, well, when you're looking at value picks, you know some of the ones that I read off: Oregon, thirty-five to one; Florida, at forty to one; Texas A&M, you can get it fifty-five to one after they fell to Clemson over the weekend, and Kellen Mond did not look like the dark horse Heisman candidate that some people were projecting that he was going to be at the beginning of the season. I, I put myself in that group for someone that was high on Mond. Uh, but what do you look at and see here as a good value pick? Like my value is, I I want to see the best chance to still be in the dance 
when comes playoff time. So I'm looking at a team that I I really like their chances to make it outside. And I think, I don't know if this is your favorite, Pearson, but I'm looking at the Georgia Bulldogs, 6-1. to They haven't really been tested this season. That's fine. Uh, According to Vegas, they're going to be favored for every game in the regular season that they have. I I saw something about how that Notre Dame game that's supposed to be coming down in two weeks. I think Vegas would have them around a 10-point favorite right now if that happened. Uh, I mean, look, I I really like the Bulldogs to make their way in a very non-contested Eastern division this year. I mean, I think Georgia has an easy road to Atlanta to play whoever represents the West. And as long as the Bulldogs put up a strong showing in the SEC championship game, I I like the Bulldogs sneaking into the playoffs. And so six to one, it's not bad. Six to one, not bad. That's the, uh, that's the second highest odds right now because Alabama and Clemson, as I mentioned, are tied at uh, plus 200. I'm going to go to the other side of the SEC, the team that would, I guess, in this scenario, theoretically be facing your Georgia Bulldogs. I'm going to go with a team that won big this weekend over Texas, and that's LSU. They went on the road. They beat Texas. That was one of three or four games that you circle if you're a Tiger and you're like, this is what you got to watch out for. These are going to be the inflection points for the entire season if this team's going to be for real but everything that we saw from Joe Burrow makes me think that this Tiger team is the real deal there are, you know there are seldom questions about their defense a lot of guys got banged up over the course of that game Grant Delpit missed a big stretch of the game so as long as they stay healthy their defense should be good enough to keep them in pretty much every game for the rest of the season and now that they have a quarterback that's not just a game manager that can someone that can actually break the game open as Burrow did to the tune of 471 yards and just an absolutely outstanding performance on Saturday. I believe in the Tigers. And the other part of this is right now you can get them at 16-1. to 1. Uh, The reason that I'm picking them this week, we're going to update these throughout the course of the season as we go, but I feel like it's really good value at 16-1 to 1 right now because the, their next couple games, Northwestern State, Vanderbilt, Utah State, Florida, Mississippi State, they could theoretically, I think very feasibly, be 7-0 and heading into that Auburn game on October 26th, in which case their odds are going to be a lot lower. Um, and you look at Auburn and they have to you know, travel to Alabama. Those are the two games that you circle and say, that's kind of what's standing in your way right now. If they split those, obviously they would need the team they split with to lose one game along the way, which is very possible given how tough the SEC is. I feel like LSU has a great opportunity to not only represent the West, but even if they do, say, lose to Alabama in Tuscaloosa, don't end up representing the SEC West in the SEC Championship game, I still think it's possible that they sneak into the Final Four with one of those at-large bids, like we saw Alabama do a couple years ago when Georgia beat Auburn in the SEC Championship. Alabama obviously still slid in and won the National Championship, which I think helps future cases for at-large teams from the same conference. But just because that win over Texas on the road is so impressive, they'll have other good wins along the way. And like I mentioned, getting 16-1 to odds at this point in the season is really good for a team that I really think has National Championship upside. Another note I want to throw out there is that no love for the Pac-12. Highest or the best odds you can find for someone from the Pac-12 winning, Washington at 30-1. to I'm not even sure the Pac-12 gets a representative in the playoff this year. Yeah, I mean, everyone was talking about this was the year, this was the year. There was some preseason buzz about Utah, and I guess that remains to be seen. And Washington was, you know, a darling, too, for a lot of people with Jacob Eason. You, Eric, and I all picked them in the Mason-Dixon lines last week to cover their 13-and-a-half-point spread against Cal. And maybe you could say some weather delays threw that game into a little bit of disarray. But they not only didn't cover, but went ahead and lost to the Cal Bears. So that was an inauspicious way for Washington to start. Could be another sad season for the Pac-12. 
All right, the other big trophy that people will be talking about who's lifting it at the end of the year is a Heisman Trophy. Uh, these are some updated odds from Bovada, uh, updated as of Monday after a couple of okay performances from Trevor Lawrence, not earth-shattering like people were expecting. Uh, two in Alabama have just rolled. Jalen Hurts has been outstanding. Justin Fields has been outstanding. Uh, here are the updated Heisman odds. Despite cashing in a couple of early okay performances, Trevor Lawrence still has the best odds at plus 275. Tua, number two, at plus 400. Jalen Hurts is plus 700. We'll see if his transformation is sustainable or not. Justin Fields, 11-1. to Jonathan Taylor, running back from Wisconsin, 12-1. to uh, Jake from State Farm, 14-1. to Joe Burrow, just 18 to 1, Travis Etienne uh, 20 to 1, Sam Ellinger 25 to 1, Justin Herbert 25 to 1, and DeAndre Swift, Georgia's running back, is also 25 to 1. Drew, who stands out as a good value pick right now? Yeah, very early in the Heisman race uh, to start it off. And I always feel like at the beginning of the year, the Heisman favorite is never the one that pulls it out at the end, mm-hmm. which which means bad luck for uh, Mr. Lawrence and, and that school up north. Uh, I'm looking at right now, honestly, I kind of like Justin Fields a little bit from Ohio State. Uh, I know how we were talking, we were talking down on Michigan. So how about I hype back up Ohio State maybe to be the Big Ten representative in the playoffs? Ohio State will get those primetime big games for Justin Fields to shine. And if the field general himself can uh, work some magic in some primetime games, I, I like 11 to 1 on the quarterback from Ohio State. Yeah, that's pretty nice right now. Fourth best side. You look at their schedule, it is favorable. He's got a lot of games where he can put up um, some good stats, which is sort of also influencing my pick here. I'm going a little bit further down the chart, a little bit bigger value. Sam Ellinger, we just saw him put out, put on an absolute show in that entertaining game against LSU that I was just talking about, an LSU defense that's really good. Texas was still able to score 38. Sam Ellinger, 31 of 47, 401 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, and here's the other important part. Here's the rest of Texas' schedule. Rice, Oklahoma State, at West Virginia, who has started the season not great. Uh, They have Oklahoma, which will be probably a preview of the Big 12 championship game. They have Kansas. They have at TCU, Kansas, at Iowa State, at Baylor, Texas Tech. And what that says to me is that's a lot of games for him to put up a lot of Really, really impressive stats. Not to mention the impressive stats he put up in their first marquee game against LSU, and they will likely have two cracks to knock off Oklahoma. Texas would have been my second dark horse, uh, second value pick, rather, for the national championship odds just because that schedule shakes out so favorably. And again, if they can get Oklahoma one of those two times, either in the regular season or assuming that's who they end up playing in the Big 12 championship, which I think is a fair assumption at this point, you win one of those even if it's not the conference championship, they're certainly looking at an at-large bid. And if Sam Ellinger puts up big stats in both of those Oklahoma games, in addition to the gaudy stats he's going to compile in the relatively weak rest of Texas schedule, I think he's a really good value right now at 25-1. to 1. I know that the odds makers are looking at Jalen Hurts, who's moving up. The uh, he, he, he keeps getting just worse and worse odds as, as, as his candidacy keeps climbing the ranks yeah and he's one that i i I, maybe lincoln riley's just a wizard and we should just accept it because we've seen it the last couple of years but i feel like baker and kyler were still just more natural pure quarterbacks better pocket passers than what we saw of jalen when he was at alabama and and yet lincoln riley continues to prove me wrong which must mean that his system is absolutely as perfect and magical as 
as it has seemed like the last couple of years. That's that's one that I'm going to monitor very closely. I would stay away from that right now. You know, it's only seven to one, and I just don't believe in the sustainability of Jalen Hurts as like a prolific passer. I guess they're not going to their defenses aren't going to get that much stiffer in terms of the competition that they're playing than what they've already seen in the early part of this season. But that would be one that I would stay away from. So would would you say the winner of the Oklahoma Texas game wins the Heisman Trophy? Oh man, uh, I I think that's probably a good way to look at it. I, I think both of those guys, I think both of those guys have the right combination of a schedule that will allow them to put up huge stats, and then a couple of marquee games where if they perform, that's the big sort of that's the thing that propels them in terms of the narrative because what guys like you know Justin Herbert or uh, Jonathan Taylor are going to be missing is is probably those marquee national TV game day caliber games you know uh, i mean Sam Ellinger might be on game day twice uh, Jalen Hurts probably has a has a chance to be on there once or twice those are marquee games guys guys that people already have their eyes on so i think it's the right combination of narrative and ability to put up big stats yeah tough for Oregon Justin Herbert to be getting views when their games start at 10:30 eastern time I know, I know that East Coast bias, which I mean, I live on the East Coast, so I can't really complain about it. But it's it's definitely a real thing. Um, but I like that we're both selling Trevor and Tua just as favorites. Um, obviously, not great value for those uh, 20, uh, plus two seventy five and plus four hundred again for both of those guys uh, respectively. But uh, this it this is always the one that's more fun to watch. The, the national championship odds, I think you can usually reasonably predict. And sure, there are some twists and turns, but the Heisman race is always one that. It, not necessarily that someone comes out of left field, but you're right. It's never who the favorite is at the beginning of the season. And I, I feel like there's a stat out there somewhere in the ether about, you know, the Heisman favorite at the beginning of October wins like X amount of the time. And it's like never, basically. It, it's really been a while since we had the, 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 the come out the gate. Remember, I just remember the year that Leonard Fournette threw three games. And people were really ready to give him the Heisman right then and there. And mm-hmm. I don't even think he went to New York by the end of the year. Yeah, no, and, and dealt with injuries a little bit. Kind of similar with Lamar Jackson's follow-up to his Heisman season. You know, there's always the expectations, but that's, that's part of the interesting thing about um, the Heisman is so much of it has to do with narrative. So if you've already won it and expectations are sky high and you fail to meet it in one game, people kind of write you off. So um, that's an interesting one to follow. But Drew, great stuff as always. Thank you so much. We'll be back uh, throughout the course of the college football season, not every week, but every once in a while to check in on these futures, uh, update the odds, and then update some uh, some value picks and some people that are being highly overvalued by the betting public. But uh, Drew, if uh, let's see, for those of you that are listening to this, y'all probably still have a chance to check out the Mason-Dixon lines, which we're going to do Friday at 1230. And if you missed it, you can check it out on the Pearson Fowler podcast. Um, that's where you get Drew and my and Eric Kimry's best picks for the weekend. And Drew, I can't wait to gloat because I beat you and Eric this week. Yeah, another tie goes not my way. <laughs> yeah, you got to start doing better in these tiebreakers. <sighs> oh, uh, All right. Well, you know, play responsibly, Pearson. All right. Thanks so much, Drew. That'll do it for another episode of the Get Cocky Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. And if you like it and you want to hear more of it, you want us to keep doing it, rate, review, subscribe, share it with your friends. That is the best way to support the podcast. We'll be back again Monday with some rapid reaction to Alabama. Dig into a few of the numbers from that game with Will Helms as well. In the meantime, y'all enjoy the Alabama game. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. 
Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text HOPE NY in New York. 